Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. I was a senior in college when I got my first Apple computer. I still remember it. It was a laptop, a PowerBook G4. And more than remember how it performed, I really remember how it made me feel. There was something about opening a laptop, an Apple, and the way that it made that sound. The way that the keyboard was backlit, the way the Apple logo glowed. You see, in those days, not many other students had an Apple laptop on campus. And so it made me feel different kind of made me feel special. More than just a computer, to me it was a, a statement of my identity, of my difference. It said to everyone else that, hey, you can't put me in a box. I'm nonconformist. Don't give me some kind of PC. I'm an Apple guy. And even though it was a gift given to me, what I didn't realize is I had kind of totally bought in into what Apple was really selling. I was just reminded this past week by watching an old TED Talk by a consultant named Simon Sinek. Maybe you've heard of him. And he reminded me this, that what Apple was really selling is not computers. Apple is selling an identity. See, Apple has figured out something that is deeply ingrained in our culture as modern American people in the West. At our core, we have become consumers. Now, to be a consumer 
is to recognize that not only do we purchase goods and services because we need them, but in our modern world, we purchase goods and services because they speak to who we are as human beings, because we are consumers. And in a city like ours in Dallas, Texas, where there are more shopping malls and more restaurants per capita than any other city in America, every single one of us has to be honest about the way consumerism impacts every part of our lives. If you've heard me teach the premarital class here at PCPC, you've heard me talk about how consumerism impacts our relationships. The way that it's very possible for us to treat a spouse, a significant other, or really any relationship as a commodity. To treat another person as someone who has been put there in order to serve us, to meet our needs so that we might consume them. To see a marriage like a commodity to be exchanged to meet our desires rather than a covenant to lay your life down for. But that's another sermon. This morning, I don't wanna just talk about how consumerism affects our relationships. This morning, I wanna talk about how consumerism impacts the church. You see, as Christians who live in a consumer-driven culture, we would be foolish not to realize the way that consumerism impacts not only the way that we relate to one another, but the way that we relate to the church, the way that we relate to God, the way that we relate to his grace. Alan Storkey is a London economist. I want you to listen to the way he put it. He said, in the dynamics of our culture, consumption has become the dominant faith in individualism. Consumption is the healer, the entertainer, the lover, the spiritual, the theater, and the consolation. It is the chief rival to God in our culture. I want you to listen to the last sentence. Listen to what he says. Consumption is the chief rival to God in our culture. Do you think he's right? Is consumption really the chief rival to God in our culture? Let me tell you why I think he's right. In the city of Dallas, Texas, with not only shopping malls all over and restaurants all over, we have churches all over. Have you ever heard the phrase church shopping? Maybe you've been a church shopper yourself. Look, it's an understandable thing to do in a city with so many churches. But what happens when we go shopping for a church is we treat it like a commodity. And we come into a place like this and we ask the question, is this church for me? Can it meet my needs? Can it meet my desires? Do I like that guy up there in a robe preaching to me or not? Do I like the style of music or not? Do I like these people or not? When God has not called us to be consumers of the church, he's called us to give our lives away for the church. But it doesn't just affect church, it affects the way that we see God himself. To see God almost like a vending machine, 
to dispense things for us at our beck and call. And to see grace like a commodity, as if somehow grace is up for sale. As if we had any ability in ourselves in order to buy it. In the book of Ephesians, Apostle Paul says that we have been lavished with the grace of God. That that by his grace, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. By his grace, he has loved us. This is from before the foundation of the world. By his grace, he has forgiven us. It's redemption the blood of Jesus Christ. The question for us this morning, and in this series on the stewards of grace, the question for us is this, what are we gonna do with it? What has God called us to do with this grace that he has entrusted to us? So the first thing I want you to know, this morning I want you to know that by grace, we are blessed. I want you to look with me at Ephesians 1 verse three, This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now now the word that echoes throughout this very first verse that we're looking at together is the word blessed. Did you hear it? I want you to listen to it again. Close your eyes. I want you to listen to this. You see, because the letters of the Apostle Paul were meant to be read There's an oratory quality to them that you you miss if you just read them silently to yourself. Close your eyes, I'm serious. I want you to listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, open your eyes. Did you hear it? Blessed God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word blessing here in the original Greek is the word eulogia. It's the same word that we get the word eulogy from. It means to make someone praiseworthy, to bestow them with honor. We we give eulogies at a memorial service in order to praise the name of a friend or family member who's passed away, to give them honor. That's the word that's being used here to describe God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 all the way through verse 14 is one long sentence. It's one long eulogy offered by Paul to praise the name of God. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here this morning as God's people to praise his name, to worship him. In a word, what we are doing in this worship service is we are blessing God. We are saying that he is worthy of our praise. But get this, listen to what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. This blessed praiseworthy God who is worthy of all praise by his grace has blessed us. What does that mean? The God of the universe by his grace has decided to make you and I praiseworthy. 
He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He is declaring a eulogy over you and I, saying that we are worthy of praise. And if you're honest with me this morning, that should make you feel very uncomfortable because we have done very few things this week, maybe even this morning, that would make us worthy of his praise. And yet, this is what the prophet Zephaniah says. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Listen to this. He will exult over you with loud singing. The blessed, praiseworthy God of the universe, by his grace, is singing over you. Why? By his grace. How, did he, how can he do that? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on, because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Not just some spiritual blessing, but every spiritual blessing he has poured out on us. How did he do that? He tells us in the next verse, verse 4, look with me. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the word world, that we should be holy and blameless by him. God, out of his grace and mercy, has decided to bless us by making us holy. And I know what you're thinking. How is holiness a blessing? And for some of you, you hear the word holiness and it doesn't sound like a blessing, it sounds like rules. It sounds like regulations, it sounds like conformity. But if you remember in the beginning, when God created heaven and earth, he made human beings as the crown jewel of his creation. And Genesis tells us that we were made in his image. We were made to be holy as he is holy. And so God, he is at work. He's been at work since the foundation of the world, fulfilling that creative effort that we would be holy. Now if you continue reading the book of Genesis, you see that Adam and Eve fell, they sinned, and so that holiness is now broken in us. And that is what we feel every single day. It's called sin. We have fallen short of the glory, the holiness of God. There is no one in this sanctuary that can say we are holy apart from the work of Jesus Christ. God, who is worthy of our praise, out of his grace has made us holy in Christ so that we now would be worthy of his. That is grace. That is what blessing really means. And just like Abraham, God has blessed us as his people in order that we would be a blessing. I want you to listen to the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 12. This promise is now ours for all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. God said this, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing so that we would be a blessing to the world. 
Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have been reconciled to God so that we would now fulfill the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said that he is the light of the world and we have been now given Jesus the light of the world in order that we as his church would be a city on a hill, that we would be a light to the world. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing so that we could be good stewards of his grace. The second thing I want you to know, by grace we are loved. Look with me at the very end of verse four in chapter one. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, if you listen to the words that Paul uses, you will hear words that are being familiar now to us. Words like blessed and grace, but there's another word that all good Presbyterians have just fixated on. What word is it? Predestined. It's a word that every good Presbyterian loves, but a word that is admittedly divisive across Christianity. It's divisive because predestination teaches that salvation does not belong to us, it belongs to God. That it's something that only he can do for us out of his sovereignty and calling the elect. But I don't want you to miss where predestination comes from because there's a word that appears just before it. And it's the word love. Did you miss it? So often people think predestination tells us that God is callous and cold. But the Apostle Paul tells us anything but. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Predestination is not meant to be divisive. It's not to be cold or callous, but it is meant to be an assurance because it is grace. It is a doctrine that is born out of love. John puts it this way, that God loved us first. We didn't love him first, but he loved us first. That's what this verse means. In love, he predestined, that means before, you even knew that you existed, God loved you. Before the foundation of the world, God loved you. Before you ever had a past, God loved you. Before you ever sinned your first sin, God loved you. Before you ever rejected grace in your life, God loved you. Before you ever failed to love him back, he loved you. And so this morning, if you feel like you are unlovable, I have good news for you. God loves the unlovable. He loved you from before you even existed. In love, he predestined you. He loved us first. The best pictures of this that I've ever seen comes from one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I think there is a, a very common misconception about the gospel. Will people imagine God the Father to be this angry, vindictive God who is mad at us? 
and he hates us because of our sin. And it's really only because Jesus died on the cross that he now loves us. But that's not what John 3.16 says. In love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's why that's such good news. God does not love you because Jesus died on the cross. No, Jesus died on the cross because God loves you. Because he loves you, he sent Jesus to take on our sin and our shame, to die on the cross and to rise again so that all who trust in his name and receive his grace have salvation. He loved you by grace. But his love so often is hard for us to truly receive. Do you feel that way? Do you sometimes feel that way, that there's no way that God could love you? If you just look at just your morning this morning, or what your week was like this last week, you say, well, how could God love me? The reason why I have such a hard time receiving the gracious love of God is because we live in a consumer-driven culture. Because love has become a commodity to us, something that we exchange. We only love other people if we're loved in return. Our love is completely conditional, but that's not God's love. He loved us first. His love, his love came first. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Why? Because of his grace. Third thing I want you to know, the last thing. By grace, we are forgiven. Look with me at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. That word lavish means to, to give something to someone and so much that they now have it in abundance. And so what I want you to see this morning is that God has not only given us grace, he's given us grace in abundance. I love the way that the Gospel of John puts it. We use it as our words of assurance this morning, talking about the incarnation and Jesus taking on flesh. John says, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Literally, it means that we've been given grace in a place where we have already received grace. Why? Because we need grace every single day, every single moment of every single day. And by grace, we have been forgiven. Deep down, just as much as every one of us in the sanctuary knows how unlovable and how unpraiseworthy we are because of our sin, I think every one of us also recognizes that we need forgiveness. And so much I think of our lives are spent trying to work out forgiveness, trying to be worthy of being forgiven. So many of our pursuits so many of the things that we do with people that we know and love, so much of our labors and occupations, so much of the time that we spend is spent in an effort to make ourselves worthy of forgiveness. Why? Because we live in a consumer-driven culture that has turned forgiveness into an exchange but that is not how the forgiveness of God works. 
The gospel cuts through all of that. As Paul tells us, we're forgiven by grace. Look with me. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God has poured out in abundance the riches of his grace so that you and I might be forgiven. How? Paul tells us the beginning of verse 7. Look with me. We have redemption through his blood. This morning, if you are tired and exhausted from trying to work out your own forgiveness, I want you to hear this. Jesus has already paid it all. He paid for all of it with the cost of his own blood. Jesus died in your place on the cross and he rose again out of his grace. While we were enemies, while we were traitors, while we were sinners, Christ died for us all because of his grace. There are thousands of religions in the world today and every single one of them is basically the same. If you work hard enough, And if you know the right things, then God will forgive you. That is a consumer-driven religion. You see it? It's an exchange. If I do the right things and say the right things and work hard enough at the right things, then God will forgive me. And it's an exchange. Turns forgiveness into a commodity. But that's not the gospel of grace. Christianity is the only religion in the world that's the exact opposite. The gospel says not work hard enough and know the right things and then you'll be forgiven. The gospel says you are forgiven because of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And so now live a life in light of that grace. What does that life look like? It looks like stewardship. God has called us not to be consumers, but to be stewards to realize that we have been entrusted with grace upon grace, that we have been given so much, and that every single thing that you and I possess, whether it's physical or spiritual, doesn't belong to us. It was given to us by a gracious God who has lavished us with the riches of his grace. So the question for us this morning is, what are we to do with the generous and gracious God that we serve. What are we to do? How has he now called us to live in light of his grace? For some of you, you refuse his grace. And that's a common response. It's a common response, but with many different reasons. Some people refuse the grace of God because they're still trying to work for it. And they can't imagine that God, that this would be true, that God would truly do this out of the abundance of his grace. Others refuse the grace of God because they think it's something for for them to give to themselves, to earn for themselves, to work for themselves. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that you are still dead in your sin. And there's nothing you can ever do to make yourself praiseworthy or lovable. 
There's nothing you can ever do to make God forgive you. Others, they receive God's grace, but they hoard it. You know that show Hoarders? Sometimes I think, and I'm putting myself at the front of the line, we're just a bunch of Christian hoarders, just keeping God's grace all to ourselves and failing to show it to others or to take it to the end of the earth. But see, God has called us to be stewards, to recognize that God has entrusted us with grace upon grace. So over these next several weeks, I'm gonna invite you into what will be a somewhat uncomfortable journey, but it's for our good. It's uncomfortable because just like me, might not be an Apple laptop, but there's something in your life that you think that is your possession that is deeply wrapped into your identity. And to be a steward recognizes that every single thing that we have, even the grace of the gospel itself, has been given to us to steward so that the kingdom of God would be extended to our own city and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, friends, God has given you every grace. He has lavished you with grace in Jesus Christ. The question for you and me is how is he calling us to steward it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need your grace this morning. We need it today as much as we need it the first day we came to know you. So I pray for those calluses in our hearts that push against your grace, those, those places deep in our souls that have bought into the lie that your grace is a good that we can consume. But Lord, help us to give up our Christian consumerism and help us to be good stewards, to realize that until the day that you call us home to the inheritance that you have kept in heaven for us, that you've called us to stewardship. So Lord, help us to see what that looks like as individuals, but also as the church, as your people whom you've put for such a time as this in Dallas, Texas, that we might extend your grace to Dallas and to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.